Greetings and welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I am one of your hosts, the irreverent Don Winsberger. My co-host is Reverend Will Harley, and we are so happy to be with you today. Um, before we begin with our wonderful program today, I just want to um, give a little bit of a caveat. Um, the, our show, the opinions that we give are our opinions alone, as warped, as twisted as they may be. They do not represent um, the views of our, necessarily represent the views of our calling bodies or of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Um, if you uh, have something that you would like to talk to us about, complain about, or if you have any questions, um, please contact us by phone or by email. We'll be happy to address your questions either on the air or in private. Now, on that note, just to start out what we're going to be talking about today, and before I talk to you or turn you over to my esteemed colleague, I just have one suggestion here. Many of you may not know that our our, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod is going to be putting out a new hymnal about this time next year. And I know that this is probably too late for a suggestion, but I'm going to make it um, anyway. Um, hopefully, Professor Tiefel is listening to this at the seminary. He's just a, an advisory member now that he's retired. But anyway, um, I was just thinking with all of this COVID-19 stuff going on and people saying that we're never really going to return back to normal, that there should actually be a COVID section in the new Christian worship hymnal. And my first suggestion for a hymn would be that wonderful, wonderful country music song, God is Great, Beer is Good, and People Are Crazy. On that note, I will turn it over to Reverend Harley. I don't even know. <laughs> okay, I'm glad he gave the caveat the irreverent. <laughs> Um, so yeah, not knowing exactly how we're going to have to deal with, with pandemics in the future. Yes. Let's add that, that little caveat into our, our future hymnals so that, uh, we all will have the stay at home versions of, of our, of our illustrious worship, uh, with that intro song. Um, but until that happens, let's stick with the intro song that we have for our, our topic at hand. I don't really know how you follow something like that. I mean, I, no, I mean, I, I, I do want to give it. I do want to give a clarification here. When I when I recommended that song, also keep in mind that my favorite hymn, seriously, is "Chief of Sinners Though I Be." So on that note, Pastor Harley. <laughs> well, you know, both of those are are good. You play one and then the other, right? Uh, so yes, so it's sort of yes. like my mom used to say, you know, preemptive forgiveness. That's that's sort of what we're. we're the way you want to go with that. Sorry, Lord, I'm about to. <laughs> Which, by yeah, the way, <laughs> yes, that is not Lutheran at all. There is no such thing as preemptive forgiveness. There is just forgiveness um, for the things yeah. that we do all the time. But as as we gather today, uh, our subject is not on hymns, although that would be a great topic for us to, to tackle one of these days is just to look at some of the most the best hymns that we like and, and why we like them and, and take a look at what makes a good hymn. Uh, but today is is really continuing on our our uh, thoughts that we've been having 
about being free to serve, right? That That's sort of um, what we've been pursuing here as we've been uh, gathering, working our way up to, uh, to really finalizing uh, uh, an opportunity in the beginning of the fall season here coming up uh, to really hit home the uh, look at the Augsburg Confession as we get closer to Reformation. Um, and so as we continue this look, though, on, on being freed to serve, today we, we are looking at loving our neighbor and, and sort of what does that mean? How do we serve our neighbor? How do we love our neighbor? And, and how does this work? Um, as we, we look at that, some of the things that, that we probably want to consider as, as we kind of unpack this um, is an idea of, of serving not just in the church saying, okay, I, I help show up and, and clean the church or I help fold bulletins or, or I help, you know, I'm on an usher team or I'm on a greeting team. Um, but looking at, at actually serving our neighbor in, in caring about them enough to reach out, um, caring about uh, them enough to, to notice when they're gone from church and, and to really make it a, a point and a purpose to, to go and, and possibly reach out to them and, and share with them you know, the, the simple idea of, of we miss you. Um, and I think sometimes that's something that's lost in the translation. It's lost in the um, ideas that we have uh, about who is our neighbor. Um, it, it's the idea of, oh, well, it, I guess it comes back down to the Pharisees, right? Who, who looked at, at the Lord and, and pretty much wondered who their neighbor was. Um, they, they wanted the excuse that their neighbor truly wasn't somebody that, that, that they might not have liked. They would have been perfectly happy with someone that they, they tolerated. Um, but, but to know who the neighbor is and who are we serving. What are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing up that question that was asked directly of Jesus, because if that doesn't, uh, really classify the sinful nature, nothing does. Yeah, the, the sinful nature finds any excuse, right, to to um, do what it needs to or, or follow what it wants um, over and above what it should do or, or what's healthy uh, overall for, for God's kingdom. Um, and maybe that's where we want to start. We've, we've all had it, or I shouldn't say all of us, but I think a vast majority of us have, have been in congregations or been in areas where, where we've, we've kind of delegated certain work to certain people, right? And, and we've kind of threw up our hands and said, that's their job, um, and we're going to give that to them. Um, and sort of as, a, as an explanation for why we're not getting engaged to serve. We've all been in congregations or in areas where, where the congregation made decisions not to do certain things, not because it was for the betterment of the kingdom, but it was because of the betterment of their own sinful nature that they just didn't want to um, see something happen. And they make all the excuses, right? And the excuses sound legitimate when you, when you look at it on, on face value that sometimes the excuses that they're making can sound very influential and, and, and very, in, and, you know, right on the mark. Oh, I understand what you're saying, but is that really how we are supposed to approach our neighbor? Is that really how we are supposed to reach out and, and live this freedom that we have in Christ? So maybe, maybe since, you know, I can talk a lot, um, I'm going to throw it over to you, Don, and, and maybe you can pick one of, pick a, one of the myriad of, of topics that you want to start to talk about as we, we talk about practicing this freedom and serving our neighbor. 
I'm going to combine two stories into one. I grew up in uh, East Central Minnesota, not far away from uh, the Twin Cities on the west side. Little small rural community that is not small and rural now. Um, grew up with one gentleman that went to my church a few years older than me. Um, worked with him during the summers. Uh, um, and then, uh, as, as, especially as I was going to, to school uh, to become a pastor, uh, remember one conversation we had with him. There were some things that were going on at our particular congregation, um, and it was it, it, they, it was it was something that was not controversial, but everybody was interested in and concerned about. And so we're talking about it over lunch at work one day. And this, after, to finish off our conversation, this is what he said to me. Our church is best, screw the rest. Oh, jeez. That's unfortunately uh, a lot of people's thought. And, and, my, and my jaw dropped, although, I mean, although I will say my sinful nature felt that way at, at different times. Um, and really, that is something that we have, I, I really look at as something that is one thing to beware of, always being, trying to be cognizant of the motivations of our own sinful nature. Um, right now in our own part, little part of the synod here right now, our district and circuit is, is looking at how best the kingdom might be served with, uh, with our pastoral with our pastoral shortage and uh, and uh, large large vacancy list um, and so we've been looking at uh, there's been some suggestions and once again I want also want to place the um, I want to place the disclaimer on this as well the co congregations have their they have their autonomy. Um, they don't have to do anything that they don't want to. What I'm saying is no, no pastor, no official, no organization, religious organization can come in and make them do something. Okay. I, I just want to make that clear. And, and I think there should be a caveat. Just, just, I don't want, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but I think, I think something that, that people should understand too is, a pastor is called to the congregation that he's called to serve the congregation. He's not called yeah. to rule over and dictate to the congregation how something should be done. Um, okay. He's there to facilitate. Um, how is it in our call worded? We are there to encourage the, the saints for works of service. Um, Training. To train them in the works of service. Um, so in other words, you know, a, a pastor is to, to help facilitate those workings so the people can go out and do what they want. So continue yeah. with your story. And uh, and so there's been some we for for the past couple of years we've been making some attempts in different areas of our circuit out here um, and district, trying to help congregations that have uh, that have been either they don't have pastors they haven't had pastors for a while, and trying to ensure that these congregations these this these little families of believers are served in the best way possible. And so there's been different results about that. But as we talk about, as we talked about these things in different areas, 
there are certain there are there are some congregations that are asked to look at these things. Can you help? And the congregations jump in. There's not a whole lot of conversation. They say we realize the kingdom's bigger than beyond our beyond our uh, city limits, and uh, and and we want to help. And then you'll get others, and I'm, this is not a criticism. You'll get others that'll look at that and say, "Well, what about our own church? What uh, things will be tossed out about? Like, uh, I'm concerned about the workload of my pastor. How much can he handle?" And you know what? Appreciate hearing all of those things, but sometimes in the course of things, I wonder in my own mind how many of those concerns are genuine concerns or maybe subterfuge for selfishness. Well, and I think that's the that's that's the ultimate question because like you said, knowing just how much our sinful nature plays into everything that we do, right? Um, I mean, we are we are not perfect people, and even our best intentions are are really skewed by our sinful nature. And, and so you see, like, you know, let's just use that example of of the church that that looks and says, you know, I I can understand we have a pastor shortage. There's a church, you know, relatively close, maybe within forty miles or so, um, that that would needs to be served. Um, we can't get someone else there because the other closest church is is much further away uh, to be able to serve them. So it would be logical for that to happen. But then, like you said, the excuse comes up, well, does our pastor have more than enough on his plate to to be able to take that on, or would that just overload him too much? And, and, and in those conversations, I've heard comments, I've, I've heard heard these comments, let somebody else do it. Right. Well, but if no one else can do it, then it, it, it still falls back on them. But the But the sinful nature in all this wants to say, we want our pastor to be at our beck and call whenever we want him. But but notice in there isn't we want our pastor to be calling on us. It's we want to we want to have our pastor there when we want him there. Yeah. Um not not overdoing something else at a different place or 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 the like. You would remember um you I, of course you remember because you told me the stories, but you had said before um when you were in Minnesota and you were you were doing uh ministry there, you had uh um you had an actual startup church, a, a mission church that you kind of took the reins of and it and became part of a stool parish. And I remember you were saying that that sometimes you felt there were maybe a little bit of resentment from some of the members of your more established church because you were doing a lot of work down at that mission congregation, uh, trying to get things going, trying to get things uh, um, you know moving and grooving and wrapped up. And people were down there wanting to help you, right? They wanted to help serve the church, help serve in their community. And, and there was a difference between that nucleus of people who are looking out for outward into the kingdom and, and the more established maybe at the time that said, we're, we're making sure we can keep the doors open. And we're so inwardly focused that we're not looking out. And, and I think that's where that sinful nature comes in. And when we talk about our love for others, sometimes we can, we can do it. In, sometimes we can confuse love for others um, as, like you said, this justification for my own sinful nature to get what it wants um, and to do what it wants. Um, you know, we as, as pastors know full well we want to serve all of our congregations to the best of our ability. But we also know full well that sometimes 
some some congregations need more help than others, and we spend more time there, um, and and well, that can cause well, you resentment. And, you and I, we've known each other for coming, you know, eight and a, or eight and a half years, and uh, you know, when you came out, when you came into the ministry nine, ten years ago. When I moved out here eight and a half years, when I moved out here eight and a half years ago, in the in the span of eight and a half years, very little happened out here in the course of practice of my ministry than than than, than I expected. Okay, uh, so many different things, and let me say, so while they weren't things that I expected, they were things that were better than I had had, had even imagined. Uh, I did not foresee myself serving more than one congregation, um, which I, I will save it for the brief nine-month period that I had that experience in the eight and a half years out here. Um, I, I appreciated it. it. Was a the Lord gave me a nice little breather, okay, uh, and and so then. Um, as you know, time come. You know, sir, uh, you, you know how things all worked out. They're serving another congregation, serving long vacancies. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure, a lot of the ministry out, out out here went a whole lot different than you expected when you accepted the call to to serve Trinity in winter. Right. And I'm being faced right now with different. With things I never expected, I, I would be I would be faced faced with either. Don't know what the Lord has in mind, sure. but in looking at what's best for the kingdom, um, you know, ministry for me here in in twelve months' time could be radically different than it is now. Right, but I think here's and 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 I'm glad that you brought that up. How things have changed because I think I think we need to take a step back, hypothetically take a step back. And consider something that I think we're, we're kind of dodging around. And that is one of the biggest problems about um, this concept of loving our neighbor and serving others is that we call, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say call because that's what it is, but, but many people think we hire the pastor to do that job for us. Um, and, and so that's, I think, one of, um, it, it comes back to that fundamental nature that, you know, the question of the congregations where they say, I think our pastor is going to get overworked. Well, then, then start chipping in, in your congregation to help alleviate some of those things. Oh, but I don't know what, I don't know what I can do. Well, you know, pastor doesn't have to be the only person that knows how to work a copy machine to make the copies of the bulletin. Pastor doesn't have to be the only person that knows how to fold a piece of paper in half. Um, he doesn't have to be, in some cases, you know, pastor's the one that has to put the hymn board or the hymns on the board every Sunday. You know, pastor doesn't have to be the person that does all of those things. Um, you know, depending on the congregation, sometimes, uh, you know, they say, you know, pastor's the catch-all, you know, janitor for everything, um, you know. Pastor doesn't have to be all of those things. You know, you want pastor to go out and visit visit delinquents as he works with the elders. Well, maybe get some elders that will actually do some visits so that the pastor can go with them. You know, um, you know, this is the idea. Just on a sarcastic side note here, too, that's that uh, 
the church all the church also does not need a self-appointed lay foreman in the congregation who shows up on Sunday morning and tells people what to do. Oh, absolutely. Or or people in the congregation that are very apt to say, well, I know so-and-so you can volunteer to do this. You know, we, we need people who, and this is, this is a part of this. This is a part of this idea of loving your neighbor, right? Loving your neighbor and you serving others. Telepathy right now, I can just feel it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is a part of this. This is the idea that, that to love your neighbor and to serve others is not to say, I'm going to volunteer someone else to do my job. You know, I, I always, I love to say uh, to congregations that when we get into these conversations, and then I'm just going to say it now over the airwaves, and dear listener, if you don't like it, well, shut us off. I mean, I can't control that. But but one of the things I like to say is, you know, there nowhere in Scripture do I see an age where service to someone else stops, and you let the younger people take it over. I, I don't know any place in Scripture where it says, okay, when you reach, you know, 60 years old or 70 years old, then you stop and say, well, I've done my share, and now I'm going to give it to somebody else. You know, let them step up to do it. In fact, in fact let, let's look at Moses, who was 80 years old, wanted, had, was, all, was all on fire 40 years before that, when he wanted to bleed, and God said, no, it's not your time. Then God shows up to him. When he's 80 and Moses says, I'm old, I'm tired, you're coming to me now when I when I don't have the energy I once had, God said, don't care about that. Yeah. Basically. And then says, guess what? You get another 40 more years of it. And yeah. and Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31. What does it say? It tells us that he still had strength in his arms and 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 perfect vision in his eyes. I mean, the guy was still rip raring and ready to go, and, and the Lord took him home when the time was ready. But he didn't let him ever have a moment where he didn't serve someone else. You know, he, he spent the time learning to serve um, uh, in, in, in politics for the first 40 years. He spent another 40 years learning to tend the sheep because that's the people of Israel. They're dumb as sheep. Um, and, and he served his family in that capacity. And then the Lord called him to actually serve the people of Israel. Uh, and to lead them for 40 years. And I look at my, I look at my members, I look at, at the members I used to have, I look at the people across the church board, and I know, I know, we get, we get people in our churches that are, they're getting older, that the demographic of the church is, is, you know, getting older and older and older. Young people don't find a need for religion, they don't find a need for anything, really. And the only thing that they care about is what's benefit, beneficial for them. Well, that, that, problem doesn't just stop with the younger people. It continues with the older people. And, and how many older people do we have in our churches that say, I don't want to do the job, but I want the person who steps up behind me to do it the exact same way that I did it, because that's what I feel comfortable seeing. Yep. You can't do that either, folks. <laughs> if you're not going to serve and do it, then, then you got to let someone else step forward and do it the way they want it to be done. Um, and and you, know, you have to relinquish that. As we recognize, as we try to recognize our sinful nature in these matters, it's also important for us to recognize the guidance of God and the will of God in this as well. I'm going to use myself as an example. Will, you know me when I when I first moved here eight and a half years ago. You know me. You'd. You got to know me then, and you know me very well. You've seen, you've seen quite a few changes in me. <laughs> a couple, and uh, you know, you know that I, I, you know, okay, I was coming from two 
from a large church with a lot of responsibilities, a mission and a smaller mission church with a lot of activity in it. It was my, it, it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was time. It was time for them to have a different leader to take them farther. Right. Um, when I came out here serving a, one little church, I was looking to tone things down for a little bit or for, for, for a while, maybe even permanently. And the Lord gave me a nine month breather and said, guess what? Yeah. I've got better things in store for you. Um, I dug my heels in on that for a little while. Um, but then recognized, okay, this is this is this is where this is where not only where the Lord wants me to be, but these are things that the Lord wants me to be doing out here. And I think it's important for all of us as God's people to realize um, not only where our sinful nature comes in on this, but also what's the will of God in this. Right. But I, I think in in. You know, I have a verse for that too, and I'm going to share that here in a second. Um, but I, I think I think you're gonna you're gonna find that this demographic shift or this this fundamental shift is happening all over all industries of volunteerism. Let's just call it that. Um, I, I think you're sign you're seeing that there there's a lot of people who are willing to do something when it's beneficial for them, but they're not willing to do something when it no longer becomes a benefit for them. Um, you know, you have, you have the, the parents that will volunteer at the school when their kids are in school. And then as soon as their kids get out of school, they're no, they, it's like the school disappears. You know, that's no longer a thing because my kids have went through it. I've used it for my purpose and now I'm done. Um, and, and the church has kind of been treated that way too. You know, um, <clears throat> delinquency, delinquents come back to the, to the church so that their kids can, can go through catechism because catechism is this, this rite of passage, this sacrament outside of, of anything that God ever talked about. So I don't know how they got that idea, but they think it's a sacrament. No, we show up, we go through confirmation and, and then we disappear again and we've used the church and we'll come back when we get married because everyone wants a church wedding for marriage. And, and then when we die, you know, we'll make sure that our family has your number and they might not know what pastor you're on at the time, but we'll make sure they have your number so that we can we can call you up and 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 make sure you can bury us. And and if we're lucky, maybe we'll call you before we die to tell you something about us so you'll have something nice to say. And then we all are shocked when the church is closed because we have so many delinquents on a list that no one knows what's going on and no one cares. We have we have fa- I think this is a this is a this is epidemic. You know, it's epidemic of the entire society in which we live, but it's it's prevalent within the church that that we we use the church, we use the facilities that that God has given to us and the blessings God has given to us for our benefit, and then the rest be damned. And I'm sorry to have to say it that way, but that's what it no, seems. But that, but that, as you said, that that uh, demonstrates itself in so many different areas. Like you said, uh, volunteerism is a big thing today among some of the generations that come before before my generation, and I'm I'm at the tail end of the baby baby boomers. Um, volunteerism is a big thing, and I like how you said that because, but really, this is, and I'm not even saying this is this is something that is not generational. This is sinful nap sin, of the sinful nature. Yeah, I remember back about 20 years ago with a couple of my cousins. And 20 years ago, I was really, really, literally chest deep into duck hunting um, in uh, in southwest Minnesota. 
Um, and uh, you know, duck hunting was my passion when I was when I was growing up and in high school. Uh, my my some of my cousins of mine and I we were being disillusioned with uh, Ducks Unlimited though because all the money and the golden doorknobs at the place down in Arkansas and all this stuff and and so we we got my, my one of my cousins suggested let's support the Minnesota Waterfowl Association it's closer to home you know where the money is going and so all of us you know and we all thought okay first of all because. And we all went into it with our with our different motivations, but our motivations were all similar. Okay, we thought that somehow by being part of this and actually looking to start a chapter, um, that we all thought, okay, we saw that it, we thought it was going to benefit us. That's why we were doing it. Right. We thought it was open up wetlands to us. It was it, it was going to make our hunting better. And then when all of us at different times discovered that that wasn't going to happen. Sad to say we backed out of it. Right. Cause it no longer was a benefit to you. Yeah. And that, and that happens as well, you know, let, and, and, and okay, let's bring this to back to a, let's say a delinquency call, you know, nobody, nobody, I don't care who you are. I don't, you'd lie to yourself. If you say you enjoy that job to be on the board of elders, to go out and do a delinquency call. Nobody likes that job. No one. And if you think the pastor likes that job, you're kidding yourself. Nobody. We're trained for that. That, that, That's that's why we don't have to. Well, but nobody likes that job. And I can train someone to say, hey, we missed you. Uh, I'm pretty sure I can train someone else to say that. Hey, we've missed you. And if someone says, what's that? You mean we're not kick their door down and knock them out with a baseball bat and drag them by the hair to church? No, because that hasn't worked any other time in history. Why would it work now? You know, and, and to say to and say to your pastor, pastor, you need to go and tell my my son or my friend or my relative so and so that they have to go to church. You've already done that. What's me going over there and telling them the exact same thing ever going to do to change that since you've already said it in such a law-based way? Sorry, that's just my that's another story for another time. But what I'm saying is, is you know, for the for the delinquency calls, you, you call your elders to do that work, okay? No one wants to be on the elders to do that work. They don't. And if you get somebody who's faithful, they do the work, not because they want to, because but because they know it needs to be done, and they have a love for the people that they're reaching out for. But you think that that it's the job of the elders alone to do that? So you're you're in a church. Let's just go by the national average, okay? The national average is is what forty eight percent at the high note for your 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 average attendance, and that would be creasters and le- and under. So that means you're there for Christmas and Easter two times a year every six months or under. Forty eight percent is is the is the going rate of of what you can consider of your church membership that actually show up. So at least 52% of your church body is considered a delinquent. You've got I think that's low, but that's just me. And it could be low. I'm just giving you I'm just okay. It's still a number that that's overwhelming for four people as an as on the board of elders to handle. And and yes. it, it, I mean they're going to handle one or two maybe in a year. They're going to be burnt out by 3. And that, and with zero help from anyone else in the congregation, with zero uh, incentive to to have other people help reach out and have other people help communicate, 
They're burnt out by three, maybe six, if they if they say we still have work to do. They've only gotten through two, three, maybe in six years. They're done. And they're never going to pick it up again because they are taxed. They're just taxed. You know, and that's a, you know, there's, this could be a whole other, a whole other podcast the way it is there too. But I look at, when you look at the board of elders, isn't the board of elders really there um, kind of as the last resort? Um, The last, last because we really, all of the, all of the, all of the Matthew 18 stuff is to be done by family and friends. Um, and when that come, does not come to a resolution, then it gets brought to the elders? Absolutely. Well, and first of all, let's, let's be honest. I know, I know we have arranged ourselves differently in many of our, of our congregations, but the whole idea of the elders was not to do delinquency calls. The idea of elders was to watch over the spiritual life of the pastor and the congregation. That was their job, the spiritual life of pastor and congregation. And and I but I believe you're right. I, I, I would say you're right. That that really the elders are the last ditch effort to try to reclaim these people that everyone else in the congregation has contacted and said, Hey, we miss you. But no one in our and, and this is the part. And, and and I've I was in I was in a situation in a small town. It happens more in small towns. We all know it. You have one or two restaurants that everybody goes to. Everybody has seen everybody. In fact, they're probably eating breakfast with them or lunch with them or having a coffee with them when they're sitting around. They know who used to be in that church. They know that they haven't seen them there every Sunday. And they still refuse to say, hey, we miss you. When are you coming back? Or we would love to have you back. And then when they say, well, I don't want to come back. Well, then bring that to the pastor. Bring that to the elders and say, this is what I heard. Can you maybe give them a visit? Maybe you want to give them a call. I think there's something something going on here. Communication. But but that's the love of, of that. This is what we're freed, right? We've been freed in Christ to serve someone else. You know, let, let's just paint the picture of how we interact with other people. And maybe you can help answer these questions for me. If Jesus treated us the way that we treat other people that we just forget about in the church, what would happen? You would have uh, heaven empty and hell plump full. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. In fact, the gates of heaven wouldn't have been wouldn't have even been open because Christ would have walked around this earth with all the re- rejection that he received, even from his original disciples, all their rejection. He would have said, "You know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm going home. It's not worth it." But he didn't. And- and let's not forget that there are um, there are many instances where in families where in fact this was something that I had just mentioned in in this past Sunday sermon um, where you have uh, children brothers sisters have uh, fallen away rejected Christ and you see sorrow so much sorrow in a parent or in a sibling's uh, uh, heart. Um, and where they have that, they have that uh, that desire. If I could give my own uh, my own salvation to save you, I would. Um, there is that out there. Oh, and I'm I not saying there isn't. And I know you're not. I, I'm just saying this for our listeners. Um, you know, as you and I, we have always said we want to be gospel motivated, 
Um, and so just wanting to keep a, a law gospel balance here too, just just in our uh, uh, in the hearing of our listeners. But and I'm glad you want to keep that law gospel balance because let's let's follow the law gospel balance, right? Many of the times that that those people who have a sorrow for their loved one who has fallen away, and they have a genuine sorrow, and they are they themselves are faithful members. They gather around word and sacrament, and they receive the forgiveness of sins. When they turn around to talk with that loved one that they are so concerned about, and rightfully concerned about, the approach that they take is not one of gospel encouragement. It's not one of love for them. It's one of the law. You need to do this. That's the majority of times, not all the time, but the majority so well and and it becomes almost all the time because maybe they did start it out with gospel encouragement right maybe they did say hey this is really the best thing for you and your family and 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 this is really god pleasing and and this is benefit for you um but then because they didn't see the results that they were looking for they turned to the law and they 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 tried to back it up saying well the gospel didn't work we'll go back to law that's that that's i'm sorry that's reformed thinking there's always that temptation. You know, I've got some family friends that uh, I grew up with, uh, uh, brother and sister, um, twins, actually. Uh, the sister uh, um, came out as uh, as a lesbian. Um, again, she knows what God's word says. She rejected that. Her parents, her brother, who is a Wells called worker, um, all just sick at heart about it. They're all looking, you know, and everybody on the outside has so many suggested ways to deal with it. You know, you know, how can you, how can, how can you have them in their house? How can you be, how can you be sitting and talking with them and acting like nothing's wrong when in the case that is not the the fact. In fact, when they get together, their daughter comes to church with them. They do not, they do not sit and preach to her about her sin all the time. They pray about opportunities to, for the wisdom to know when to bring it up. They know that their daughter and sister need to be in church hearing law and gospel. And they don't want, and so and so that is why, you know, people are said, oh, you're sitting there with your sinful daughter. How can you do that? This is where she needs to be. Uh, it, is not the, it, is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Absolutely, it's it's the it's the tax collector in the back of the church. Uh, Lord, I have sinned. Um, yes, not the Pharisee in the front saying, "Look at me, look how good I am. I'm glad I'm not like one of him." Um, and I agree with that. And, and in that case, that family is doing exactly what what God has asked of them in their Christian freedom to serve someone else in the best way that they they can. And and that I think that is what I'm I'm trying to say is 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 for the vast majority of people. And and maybe I was painting with a too wide of a brush, but for the vast majority of people. The vast majority yeah. of people, we need to we need to do a better job. We, myself included, need to do a better job of reaching out with opportunities to share Christ and invite people to hear law and gospel than to think that I am the bringer of the law and that if I bring the law, it's going to change you because the law never changes anybody. And you and I come back down to it. You've heard it, I've heard it. Pastor, you need to tell them. That's the law. When has that ever changed anything? When has that ever done anything? <clears throat> but it's the same, you know, it comes back to the same idea. And and, and we've we've sort of gone down this one particular uh, journey um, in this podcast, but but there's so many other avenues, right, where, where we've used the law 
or or a pretense of the gospel, let's just say that, a pretense of the gospel, to once again browbeat everybody else within the church to get what I want. And and you've seen it, you've seen it in 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 churches that don't want to reach out to help other people in vacancy or help uh, re reestablish a different way of doing church among various congregations, right? They they use the pretense of the gospel as a way to browbeat other people into getting what they want, which is they don't want that to be shared. They don't want their pastor to be shared. They don't want their their resources to be shared. Um, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, this is, this is, instead of working as a body of Christ, we are working against each other. Uh, we are, we become a cancer amongst each other, pushing each other away. At least that's my, that's my impression of what we, what we see. Yes. And, and again, it's not, you know, it, this is, how do I say this? Is it's not something that is what I want to call pandemic. And I apologize for using that, uh, that term. No, it's a right perfect now. term. Let's 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 equate it with Corona. It it doesn't affect everybody, and it doesn't kill everybody. Yeah, there we go. Well, and yes, that maybe that was a good illustration. Um, and, and you know, because the point is, as I look out, uh, out out here, there are congregations that, uh, um, and you know, there are congregations that are uh, that are willing um, that they they see things beyond their own church doors. Uh, you know, I can tell you this. You know, you know me as well. When I first got here, and maybe, and I don't, I don't want to completely try to exonerate myself from it. Um, was faced with some situations like that, um, and uh, uh, my own sinful nature got in the way to where I wouldn't even. Uh, there was fault on both sides of it, but my own sinful nature wouldn't, for for a good 12, 18 month period, I wouldn't even sit and consider it. Right. Well, but it even gets worse than that. I mean, you have people that are in the church where you, where you have, like you said, this pandemic, right, where it hasn't affected some and some are, are willing to reach out and start doing and start helping. And then they're chastised by the rest of the people who have the this disease. <laughs> Let's just go with that. They're chastised by the rest. They're shamed <laughs> into into uh, pulling back from what they're doing because they're they're being chastised by everybody else because they're not doing it the way they want it done or they're doing something they don't want to have done because it makes them feel guilty, right? It makes them feel guilty that they they couldn't do it. So here, case in point, <clears throat> back in winter, you know, we we'd wanted to start a, a youth program. We really wanted to get a youth program going. We had some people who were really on board to do be a part of the youth program. We get it going, we get it started, and, you know, it's the rest of the congregation kind of beat them down and said, you know, why are you doing this? What's the point of that? You know, we have other things in the community that, that that kids can be a part of, or you're not doing it right, or you're spending too much money, or um, whatever the case could be. And so those helpers moved away from helping. I don't want to do this. That's got to be a trip Coney thing. But anyway, go ahead. Well, but you know what happened? You know how did how was that defeated? Well, that was defeated because you know eventually pastor picked up the reins and said, I will do something. And then other people said, well, I'll get behind you because if it doesn't succeed, pastor will take the fall. And, and that, and, and they were okay with that. If someone else took the fall, 
And that's not service to someone else. That's not service. That's not using gospel freedom and the, and, and the life that we have given back to us to serve someone else out of the love that we have for them. It's saying, I'm too afraid to do anything. And so as long as someone else will take the blame, if it doesn't succeed, then I will do it. And, and, and that's not how this is supposed to be. What's I, have, I have been told that pastor, you take the reins with this. Um, and, uh, and, and I'll be behind you. Um, um, unless it blows up. I, I mean, word for word quotation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's not, that's not what we are called to do, right? That's, that's not what this gospel freedom is, is called to be. Um, and, and, and then you have the other side of the spectrum where you have people that don't want to volunteer at all. They just want to show up at church, sit, receive the Lord's uh, words and his sacrament, and then go home and be left alone. Are they Christian? Absolutely. But are they, are they engaging in what, what it is that is good and God-pleasing as they live that Christian life? I mean, there's some question that you could, you could bring up there. But that, this is the problem that, that I think is epidemic um, within the, it's pandemic, however you want to say it, within all of Christendom. But we're seeing it within the Wells. We're seeing it within uh, the Missouri Synod. We're seeing it within all the established churches, probably more so than the unestablished churches or the churches that don't keep membership very well. Um, <clears throat> this is the kind of stuff that we're, we're seeing. And, and I remember when I, was in, when I was in seminary, one of the things that we were told was, Always be careful how much you allow somebody to volunteer at church. I don't know if you ever got that warning. Um, we got that oh, yeah. warning because they said they said you're going to burn them out because you have very few people who genuinely want to serve, genuinely care about other people. I, I told you I said I was going to share a, a verse, and I want to share a verse um, uh, with you. And, and this verse is from Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter six, verse ten. Uh, and this is the, the the ESV version. You can look it up in any version you want. It doesn't really matter. But it says, uh, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and your love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. I, I, I kind of like that as, as a good reminder. You know, um, realizing that, that, yeah, good works don't get us to heaven. They don't. Serving other people doesn't... doesn't earn us a place in heaven, but God's not unjust enough that in gospel freedom that he doesn't recognize it and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, you are doing what I've asked of you. You are engaging in the work that I have given for you all to engage in and for all to be a part of. Um, you know, I, this is going to sound bad, but here it is. Um, I got into a conversation with, with, with a member at one time, and the member said, well, pastor, you know, uh, you should be joyful every time you go and visit a shut-in. That should be the highlight of your day. And I said, you don't, you must not know yourself, and you must not know the sinful nature well enough to realize that sometimes I have to force myself to go and visit those shut-ins, right? I have to force myself to do that and say, it's my job to do that. Now, that doesn't mean when I get there, it doesn't become one of the best parts of my day. But it wasn't the best part of my day going into it. It was just another thing on my on my list of many things that had to get done in the day. And, and, and it was aggravating or it was, um, you know, one thing I had to try to fit in. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, right? Um, I'm sure I'm not the only pastor that wakes up on a Sunday morning and says, 
I would very much rather uh, sleep in like half my members are going to be doing this morning. Um, and, and yet we drag ourselves out of bed and we come and we, and we do the service. And when we got there, we were there in a really bad mood. <laughs> we didn't want to do that. And yet what does God do? God allows through, through sinful lips to share a saving message to other sinful ears. And that's kind of a neat thing. It is, you know, and it's one thing, you know, this is something, call it maybe uh, 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 look at it, looking at it as a very personal issue. Um, my personal walk with God, my, the, the, the gifts that he has given to me, uh, the calling, the vocation that I am in and looking at, uh, okay, what, Am I am able to do and what can I do? And it's kind of like I have found in in my experience in 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 serving God's people in different settings and communities and congregations, some of the best and most efficient work got done with uh, with some of the least organization. And what I mean by that was kind of like and again with the we call our congregations, church families, running it like our home. It's something that uh, that my wife and I and my daughter, we try to do. You see something laying on the floor, you pick it up. You see the garbage can is full, you, 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 take, it out to, you take it out to the curb. Um, the, the last, the, the grass is getting long or something's blown off uh, one of the, uh, off, off the wall of the house outside. You go pick it back up and hang it up. You just don't walk over something. You see something that needs to be done, you do it. And when we get when when God's when we as God's people get focused like that, things just seem they just naturally just work better. Sometimes we try to overcomplicate things, and it becomes because of our sinful nature. It lets somebody else do it. No, let's get rid of that. Let, let us let us flee to Christ, his forgiveness. Word and sacrament, strengthening of faith, um, which alone can dispel this attitude. Let somebody else do it. But and and just as a side comment, you know, um, it's interesting that you say that 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 we should treat the church like our home, and maybe that's what people are doing, and maybe they they're used to having the older generation, mom and dad, do everything for them in the house, and they do nothing, and that's why the younger generation is doing nothing. Or and it could. That's a whole other podcast, is it not? <laughs> it could be, but maybe they are treating it like their house, uh, and they did nothing at home, and so they do nothing here. Um, but I, but I, 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 I agree with the sentiment, and 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 I agree with with the words that that only the only way to defeat this is with Christ. Um, the only way to defeat this is to recognize that that we are all in it together as a body of believers, and when one part of the body suffers, the rest suffers. And that when one is glorified and one is one is given a gift, the rest rejoice with it, right? Um, yes. And and that and how many times does the scripture refer to us as the body of believers? Um, you know, we are we are are unique in that sense that that we are in this. Not only not only are we blessed individually, not only do we receive the gift of heaven and 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 are we declared victorious individually. But but oftentimes the scripture refers to the church is victorious, not just the person in the church, but the church itself. 
um, all those who gather. And, and wouldn't we want as many people in that all as we could, as we could reach? Don't we want as many people hearing that message as we could, we could probably get through those doors and into those socially distant pews that we have marked off <laughs> these days? Um, wouldn't we want to fill that up as, as much as possible uh, by saying to others, come and see? Um, you know, I, I go back to Philip and Nathaniel. I, I, for some reason, it always rings so true in my head. Um, and, and I try to say this to my members as well. And I know you've said it because, I, you know, we've talked about this before. Sometimes our members have the best intentions and they're like, but pastor, I just don't know what to say. What did Philip say? Come and see. Come and see. You know, and, and Nathaniel tried to draw him into a conversation, right? What good comes out of Nazareth? And, and Philip, he didn't, he didn't take the bait. Come and see. And dear listener, I'm not asking you to have a theological conversation with somebody so deep that you're going to give the arguments for, for the resurrection of Christ or that you're going to talk about the intricacies of, 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 of all of the shared attributes of the person of Christ. Um, I'm not asking you to do those things. What I'm asking and what I'm thinking you're asking and what we're encouraging is have a love for the people that, that you know are a member here. Have a love for the people who know that you know need Christ and say, come and see, come and share, come and be a part of. And if they have questions, call me, call you, call our elders. You know, that's our job. That's that's what we're called and to do. As we do this, because this is something I've been, I've been uh, reminding brothers in the ministry of right now too. And I remind it, uh, you know, actually I've been reminding fellow pastors. Now remind this to us as pastors and to our member, our church members as well. Um, let us remember what God says in his word, that uh, all of this is uh, this work. It, 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 the, the Holy Spirit is the power behind all of this work. The Holy Spirit behind word and sacrament. The word, God's word will not return to him empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. And usually too, where, uh, where we get our hangups on this, as pastors, when our sinful nature gets the best of us and the sinful nature gets the best of our people, we get arrogant enough to think that we are the ones that are stirring the drink with this. Um, that this, that uh, that anybody being brought to Christ, anybody being brought to Christ, brought back to Christ, or brought closer to Christ, is 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 our is our work in our in our doing and our success. It is not. Um, and so, uh, as I tell pastors, let's not take blame for things that are not our blame, and let us not take credit for things that aren't uh, that that aren't our credit either. And this is something that we have to constantly remember ourselves. Jesus says, love, love, invite, come and see. I'll take care of the rest. And if the and where our frustration, I think, sometimes comes in is if we don't see something happen at mock speed, well, then we think it's failure, and then we need to go to the law. Right, right. And this is not us. We love, we share the gospel. We invite, um, and and again, praying for patience that the Lord is going to do things in His time and in His wisdom. And and I think also realize that that we're all in it together, and we each yes. have different. We have each different responsibilities within within this body of of believers, but we're all in it together. And 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 I would just say, dear listener, 
Um, please remember, the pastor that you have called is there to facilitate corporate worship. He's there to teach. He's there to preach. He's there to to uh, uh, equip you for acts of service. He is not there to do your job. He's not there to, to, to go and reach every single person and talk to every single person within the community and without. That is where you get to join him. It is, it is interesting to note how the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers is such a, is such a, uh, a significantly Lutheran doctrine, biblical doctrine brought out by the Lutheran Church at the Reformation and has become one of the least understood in the Lutheran Church. Absolutely. And, and that actually is a, a really good place for us to, to maybe uh, look at, at wrapping up the podcast because that was our segue into the beginnings of the Augsburg Confession uh, where we had one more kind of a fill-in where we talk about the priesthood of all believers and what it is is our role uh, to, to share Christ. And so before we, we kind of elaborate on that, we'll save that for next week unless you want to elaborate on it. But, but I would say we save it for next week and— uh, um, we kind of give our wrapping thoughts here about, about being encouraged to serve one another and, and to love our neighbor. What do you have? You know what? It is a privilege. It is a joy. Um, there are frustrations. Some of you might remember if you were in church on Sunday, the Old Testament lesson from 1 Kings 19, um, and where Elijah a faithful prophet of God loved to serve, and he's frustrated. He's burned out. He's seen rejection, um, and he comes to God. He wants to see just a. He wants to see God's power, and so God says, "All right." He passes by in front of him in an earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. Passes by in front of him in front of a fire as as a fire. He's not in the fire. Then his wind, not in the wind. But then in the small, quiet voice, the small, quiet, unassuming, um, not overbearing uh, word, of, word of God and the means of grace, and, and Elijah trembled. And that is where we always go back to, word and sacrament, the still small voice of God's word and sacrament. Um, and that is what takes away our frustration. That's what gives us our strength and our motivation for continuing on in the blessed task that God has given us all in the priesthood of believers. Absolutely. You know, I, I always take, <clears throat> and, and, and that you brought up Elijah, I always take that and, and I think back to Christ upon the cross and, you know, I, how many of those words that he spoke from the cross were whispered in that, in that small voice of the gospel, right? Um, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Um, or the only one. The only one cried out was, it is finished. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but the rest of them so quietly spoken um, as, as, the, as they were jeering and as they're mocking, as they're, they're slinging their insults and he, he forgives them of their sins. Um, and, and at the end, over all of it, he cries out, it is finished. Um, and, and then he gives us the tools. He gives us the very message to share. Um, Look at what happened with all that whispering. Kind of what we see today. Surrounded by waffling, fear, rejection, and hatred. But we have one, we have two instances out of 
who knows, thousands of people that may have been standing on the hill of Golgotha. You have the thief on the cross, remembering me when you come into when, when you come into your kingdom, and the centurion who says, "Surely this was the Son of God." Yep. Um, and uh, you know what? All that you know from that gospel, from that working of the Spirit in a quiet, unassuming but dynamite, powerful way, was working. Well, and and, and, and expanded out. Day. Expanded out, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus, you know, coming out of the shadows um, and, and showing themselves as believers of Christ to take him off the cross um, forever, forever removing their ability to serve uh, in the Sanhedrin and, then, and as Pharisees um, as they, they stepped up to do what, uh, what needed to be done in the service of others. Um, you know, there's so much that can be painted there of this of this small voice, this opportunity to just reach out with the gospel. You don't have to have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. Um, yes, we've been trained. Yes, we've been doing this for our livelihood because this is what we've been called to do and the responsibility given to us in a corporate way. Um, but We have this treasure in jars of clay, as the Apostle Paul says. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in the case of myself, and I know definitely in the case of, of uh, Pastor Winsberger, we are cracked pots. We are cracked pieces of clay, um, and we leak all over, and that's okay. Um, you know, he leaks a little bit more, but <laughs> but that's another conversation for another time, isn't it? <laughs> My clay is more leaning towards the guano side, but that's... <laughs> well, dear listener, I, I hope that you find hope and comfort in, in stepping out of, of maybe your own uh, way. And seeing your sinful nature as what it is, as it tries to detract you from sharing Christ. And, and maybe open up your, your heart and open up your, your uh, mind to the possibility that God has given you awesome opportunities to say, come and see, uh, to serve your neighbor in other ways. Sometimes with a listening ear, sometimes with a helping hand, sometimes with a word of comfort and hope, um, maybe sometimes financially. Uh, and maybe your finances go through the church and, and you help that way. Uh, however you see fit that the Lord is helping encourage you to serve someone else, um, maybe we embrace those those opportunities to share. And with that, um, I wish you God's richest blessings. And uh, Don, thank you for the conversation again. Until next week. Once again, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. And with that, we say amen. 